Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Exploring Revelation podcast today. Before we get into the material, if you have questions or thoughts, please feel free to send those to me. I would love to interact with some questions that you have uh, about the, the podcast, about the material. I know some of the material so far has perhaps got you thinking a little bit and perhaps raised some questions in your mind. So feel free to ask those. Uh, you can go to BethelMBChurch.org and click on the Connect tab there and contact me that way. Or you can just email me directly at coltr at gmail.com. That's C-O-A-L-T-R at gmail.com. Hopefully you're able to, to find the podcast where you like to get your podcast. If you're unable to um, find it somewhere uh, that you want to see it, let me know. I'll see what I can do. And just want you to know that you can listen to it a lot of places. You can you can find it on most podcast catchers, but you can also watch it on, on YouTube. There's a link to that on our church website, BethelMBChurch.org. So we have on the podcast so far, we've been dealing with some preliminary issues that are really important to our understanding of, of the book of Revelation. For instance, last week, we looked briefly at what we called time frame references. We highlighted that a, a person coming to the book of, of Revelation must really deal with the, the first verse of the text that says these things must shortly take place. Or in the Olivet Discourse, for instance, where we're told that the current generation would not pass away until these things have happened. Or several other passages where there is a time frame attached to these eschatological passages. And, and if you're saying, well, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, I mean, what does that have to do with Revelation? We can, we'll maybe do a podcast later on about uh, the relationship between uh, those. Some people see great relationship there. Some people don't. If you've, if you haven't listened to that podcast, though, on time frame references last, the last week one, I would think that would be helpful to go back and listen to that before you get to this one, just so we're on the, the same page when it comes to these preliminary issues that really need, that really help us to understand the book. When it comes to the, the book of Revelation, though, there are a couple more things that we need to look at before we get into the text, things that I believe really shape our, our understanding of the text before we even get into it. What I'm thinking here is, is what we would call uh, millennial views and then the interpretive framework that one has before they even come to the, the text. So when it comes to the book of Revelation, we should recognize that, that many times we are approaching the book with some presuppositions like what our eschatological view is, our view of the end times. So if we believe in a, a premillennial or pre-tribulation rapture, for instance, that's going to, to shape our reading of the text. Quite simply, we're going to be looking for a, a rapture type event before the tribulation as we walk through the text. Now, in our conservative evangelical churches in America, there seems to be uh, one dominant 
view. And I'm really not sure that, that believers and many pastors, for that matter, in these churches know of other views. And if they do, they, they probably don't view them as really being on the table. I know in the, the small church that I was raised in, there was really one understanding of the end times that was taught. And, and the other views were really off the, the table. They, they weren't uh, evangelical. They weren't conservative. They, they were the more uh, liberal people that, that believed in those things. In fact, one of my first memories was a, a video series that we watched in church. And I remember it because it, it scared the living daylights out of me. But as I got older, I realized that that series and really the, the, the view that I had been exposed to was that, that predominant view. If other understandings were, were mentioned, they would be associated with more liberal or, or mainline uh, approaches. Churches that didn't believe that the Bible to be true, that rejected the, the inspiration and the trustworthiness of Scripture. These are the, the ones that would understand the, the, the thousand-year millennium as not being a thousand years, for instance. That's just one example that I remember. I, I guess what I want to do here for the next few minutes is to just look at what we'll call these millennial views, and then we'll talk about interpretive framework next time. Uh, of course, there are books upon books written about each one of these views, so we're just really touching the, the surface here. And I mean, this is just a, a very general uh, survey of what millennial views are. But, but I want to do this because I, I want you to be aware of the fact that there are a number of perspectives held by good Bible-believing Christians. In fact, every view that we're going to talk about here are views that are held by conservative, conservative evangelicals believe that, the, believe that the Bible is true. They believe the Bible is without error. So there, there's no, oh, that, that's the view the liberals hold or be because they, they, they hold that view because they don't believe in the inerrancy of, of Scripture. They don't believe that, that Scripture is, is without error and, and trustworthy. The fact is these views are, are held by, by various people that seek to take the Bible very seriously, that believe it is, is true in everything that it affirms. And I should say another thing here, and that is that the issue of millennial views is, is really a, a tertiary issue. It's an issue that, that Christians can have disagreements on. It, they shouldn't break fellowship over it. It, it isn't... To say that it isn't an important issue, it is an important issue. And we should long and desire to get it right, especially since it will end up having a bearing on how we understand certain portions of, of Scripture. We recognize here that, that what is taught in the book of Revelation is, is difficult and at times unclear. And this is why there's, there's countless so-called prophecy experts out there that all disagree with one another even though they might fall underneath the same millennial view. As you can imagine, when we're speaking of one's millennial view, we're talking about the millennium, which is a reference to a thousand-year reign of Christ. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. Let me just read you the, the, the six, first six verses of that chapter. And I saw an angel coming down, out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him. 
to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the, th- the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image or had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, now that's it. That's, that is where the Bible speaks of the millennium. Now, the question is, does Jesus come back before or after the millennium? Now, the answer to this question really defines one's eschatology or their view of the end times, their millennial view. For instance, if you're reading a book and the author says that they are premillennial, well, that really says a lot. It, it says that they believe that Jesus will come back before the millennium. And before I get ahead of myself here, there are basically three different millennial views that are considered evangelical or orthodox. And these would be, as we've we've talked about a little bit already, premillennialism, postmillennialism, and amillennialism. So to make things simple, let's just try to do that. Premillennialists believe that Jesus will come back before the thousand-year period to establish what is called the millennial kingdom. And I would say that most premillennialists usually believe that this is a literal 1,000 years, although that's not always the case. Now, under the heading of premillennial, you have various other positions. So on one side, you have dispensationalism, And then as you move along, you have what has been called historical premillennialism. And the difference in the two perspectives are are very many. But for the sake uh, of simplicity, let me just point out that that in dispensationalism, believers are are raptured before a great seven-year tribulation. And at the end of that seven years of tribulation, Christ returns. So in essence, there is a, the second coming happens in two stages. In historic premillennialism, the believers will go through this time of tribulation and at the end of which Christ will return to set up his millennial kingdom. Now, it's important to understand that just because one is a dispensationalist does not mean that they see all of these details the same as every other dispensationalist. Dispensationalism is actually a very complex system with various varieties within that single perspective. So even though there's a lot of variety in the premillennial camp between dispensationalists on one side and even amongst themselves and then uh, historical premillennialists on the other, they all believe that Jesus returns before the millennium, before the the thousand year reign of Christ. So if somebody asks you if you're pre-trib or post-trib, know that these are both variations within the premillennial category. They're only talking about one of the three 
categories. And they're assuming that you are pre-millennial. <laughs> now, an- another millennial view would be what is called post-millennialism. And as you can grasp already by the name, you know that this is saying that Jesus will return after the millennium or after the, the thousand year reign of Christ. And there's a, a major difference here in, in what the millennial kingdom looks like. For premillennials, it is Christ literally ruling on the earth. For postmillennialists, this millennial kingdom is established through the evangelical mission of the church. In, in other words, and some would say, that we are in the millennial kingdom. And others would say that there will be a thousand years of peace before Christ returns. Either way, the church is victorious with Christ leading the charge. It's important to understand where premillennialism is said to be very pessimistic in, in that the world is going to get worse and worse until Jesus ultimately comes back. Postmillennialists have much more of a, an optimistic outlook in that they believe that in the end, the mission of the church will prevail and everyone will become Christians. Now, this is a far cry from universalism. They're not suggesting that everybody that has ever lived will ultimately be saved in the end. What they're saying is that history, as history unfolds, which may be thousands and thousands of years from this point, that as Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, And a a vast majority of of people will believe the gospel, and then Christ will return. There was a a time in which this was the the predominant view. But then the world saw the the carnage from the the world wars, the extreme evil in the world, and and the view changed. And in some ways, the rise in in dispensationalism, or a, a very pessimistic view, was a reaction to the optimism of the the post-millennialists. And this happened in in the wake of the the world wars. So you can kind of see how uh, history uh, has even shaped uh, the predominant views of these things as time went on. Uh, A third view at this point is amillennialism or amillennialism. This is the the curveball here, so to speak. For the, the amillennialist, Revelation 20's reference to the thousand years is symbolic. It's an indefinite, long period of time. It's the, the perfect, uh, the, the stress here is that uh, the, 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 the term thousand is symbolic for a, a perfect number. It's the perfect allotted amount of time that lasts from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. And during this time, Christ is reigning in the hearts of his people. Now, Amillennialism gets a little bit complicated because there are people from various different interpretive approaches all within this category, something that that we're going to talk a little bit about next week. But people from these different approaches fall into this category, something that that really doesn't happen as much with the other two views. So the the word amillennial means simply no millennium. So generally, when these read these verses in Revelation 20, they see the reference here is, is symbolic, as this, uh, this, this just period of time. And, and the things that are associated with it are, are two. For instance, the binding of Satan happened at the cross. Now, there's a, a number of people uh, that have been, that fall into this category 
Augustine, most of the reformers would have fallen into this category. There are many who hold this position today. I have uh, a book on my shelf from a, a popular, well-known, very conservative pastor in Oklahoma that that makes the case for this position. But in, in closing here, let me just say a couple things. First of all, you can see that one's position here is going to shape their understanding of the book of Revelation if they're bringing these things with them into the book. And it's really... It's really not hard to do. Uh, you do it without even without even trying. It, it wasn't all that long ago that the Left Behind series became wildly popular. Even though the series was said to be a, a fiction, the theological perspective behind the book was not. It was dispensational premillennialism. And it was presented as the factual and unquestioned backdrop to this fictional story. I would go so far as to even suggest that the point of the series wasn't solely to entertain, but it was to educate through entertainment. So coming to our study, you can see how that might shape your reading and understanding of the book of Revelation. I I would also say that our churches today have been greatly shaped by dispensationalism. And a lot of it through the the Left Behind series and and a lot of other factors as well, not just that. And we don't have time to to get into those things, but maybe we'll do a a whole series sometime or a whole episode just on dispensationalism. Uh, I think that would be a a very interesting, um, a very interesting study. Let me think about that. But a second thing that I want to say here in, in closing is that it might be surprising to you to it might be surprising for you to, to learn that this millennial debate, Christ coming back before or after or no millennium, isn't anything new. Already in the second century, the millennial views were the, the center of controversy and being used in, in how one would understand the book of Revelation. Of course, these views developed over time into what we have today and they've evolved uh, in various ways. But it's interesting that this was the issue that it still is the issue and people define themselves by the millennium. Because when we seek to understand the Bible and we take a a Bible class or we're learning how to to grasp it, anywhere else we're told in in the Bible that in in, in Bible interpretation classes that the, the clearer portions of scripture inform our understanding of the portions that aren't so clear. In other words, scripture is used to interpret scripture. The, the fact is What we have today as the watershed issue concerning the end times, the question of the second coming in relation to the millennium, is based on a very difficult portion of Scripture written in apocalyptical language, and it's the only place in the Scripture that speaks of it. So not only is it not clear, but it's difficult to let Scripture interpret Scripture because it's probably the most clear text on it, but it itself is difficult. So there's no wonder that there's all these different understandings, that there really hasn't been a consensus on this for as far as church history goes. I, I would suggest that if we're at all in that position of, of really being shaped by a millennial view as we walk into the text, then we ought to recognize that. And we ought to recognize that there are positions that are different, that we might bring things into the text. But we also need to realize that as we walk through the text, 
it might drive us to a different position, a, a correct position. And so we shouldn't let our millennial view or view in, in this debate, let that drive our understanding of the text. We, we, need, we don't need to get the cart before the, the horse here. And we need to really work on approaching the book of Revelation with an open mind. And I think for some, this is going to be way harder than it, than it seems like it's going to be. We'll be thinking, oh, right, this verse must be a, reption, a reference to the rapture. And, oh, that, that must be, you know, the tribulation. That must be this. And, and we just start bringing up all of those, uh, all of that baggage that we're, we're bringing into the, to the book. And we're letting that drive our view, letting that drive our interpretation. And we really don't want to do that. We want to allow the, the text to speak and we really want to interpret the text for ourselves. And we're really going to work at that as we uh, approach the book of Revelation in this series. Even though some of those, uh, some of those conversations that, that we have, some of those preconceived ideas that we bring into the text might end, up being the, the, might end up being the positions that we hold when we get done. We might end up saying, you know, yeah, I, I brought premillennialism into this. And that's where, I, that's where I end up. But at least I, I can say for a matter of fact that as I was going through this, I didn't let that, that shape uh, my understanding to begin with. So uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for, for listening to this podcast. And, uh, and if you enjoy it, uh, don't forget to, to leave a review somewhere, leave comments, questions. Uh, would love to, to interact with those things. So until next time, have a, a really good day. Have a good week ahead of you.